Welcome to Adventures in Beer Selling, an interactive store time paired with your beverage of choice. Yo, I am so excited to drop a new episode with you guys. If you didn't get a chance to check out our episode on Drink of Ages, please run over to my buddy John Denman and check out the Drink of Ages podcast from last week. Uh, We dropped three good stories from my time in the distributor world. Um, Really funny stuff and really just the great place to start when you're talking about the beginning of my journey in the beer world. Um, Today, I wanted to talk about uh, something a little different and kind of give some game, uh, some game on selling. So currently I am sipping and normally I'm this time in the night, I'm sipping on a beer. Um, Right now, my beer of choice has been the traditional IPAs or, or, or pale ales or hoppy pale ales. But actually today, this is perfect because I'm actually sipping on a Cabernet Sauvignon. A very bold Cabernet. Um, and it's funny because I used to not drink wine at all. Uh, probably like a lot of you out there. I was all about beer. Had nothing to do with wine. And... I took a trip to Greece, uh, to the Greek islands, Santorini and Mykonos, and fell in love with all wine. And I got a a great wine steward to kind of get me on the right track to find the types of wines and grapes that I like. And that's a perfect segue into what I want to talk about. I want to talk about a story that I wrote. Um, for Hop Topic World. If you don't know my boys over there at Hop Topic, you should check them out, www.hoptopic.com. Go read my story. There's two parts to it. It's called Expand the Box. And there's also a lot of other great stories on there, so don't just read mine. Read all of them. They've got great merch. Um, It's really diversifying the craft beer industry, Hop Topic World. So uh, I can't pub them more. I'm not getting paid to pump them. This is all me just just showing love because they're doing a lot of great things. But um, in that story, I wrote up Expand the Box and it is talking about how to expand your consumer base, right? And when I say that, I mean as, as far as retailers. So going back to my years as a distributor rep, um, I was tasked in an area and where you'll see a lot of my stories go was for about four years. I was in this area, um, lower income, I guess what you would call the hood, right? I was in the hood and I was the area sales manager in that area. So I had my own sales team, drivers, all that good stuff, but we were tasked with trying to keep up 
with every other area. So that doesn't mean just selling your budget beers. It means selling craft beer. It means selling your premiums. It means selling imports. And it means having defined goals for each of those categories, regardless of the fact that the majority of the people in my area, um, you know, they drank things like High Life and Bush, um, Bud Ice, uh, 18 ounce, Bud Ice, 40 ounces, King Cobra, Old English. Come on, walk with me. You guys know what I'm talking about. They're drinking the kind of beers that you sit on the front porch and you watch the cars go by, that kind of stuff. And when you're tasked with selling craft beer or selling imports in an environment like that, it can seem quite difficult. But what I, the game I'm about to spit to you guys is something that is really, it's really worthwhile listening to regardless of where you sell because it's the concept of expanding your box. So what does that mean? So whenever... I was talking to a customer of mine. He was insistent on not buying in on some import beer and some craft beer that I wanted to sell, but I had to hit these key metrics or whatever that they were pushing on us. And his concept was just common sense like anybody else. My customers don't want it. They like Bush 16 ounce, Old English 40s, uh, Bush Light 16 ounce, Natural Light, King Cobra. That's what they want. Ice House. All that general stuff that we all started off on, right? And what I explained to him was that you have to expand your box. So if you continue to buy these 16-ounce budget beers, right? And you buy them on discount. So we drop some $2 discount and you're buying, you know, enough cases to last you through to the next discount and you're selling that beer to your customers, you're going to come to a point where you're going to look at your numbers for the end of the year, your P&L, your profit and loss. You're going to look at it and you will have made the same money that you made last year. Your only saving grace is to raise prices. Do you want to make the same money you made last year? Or do you want to make more money? And the way to make more money is by expanding your box, expanding the selection that you sell in the box. And the other thing is craft beer and import beer, the profit margin on those type of beers can be way higher, should be way higher. And and this is where you're going to make your money. So that was the concept that I threw at him. For the on-premise, same thing. So I had an on-premise account. This is when I was a salesperson and really cool bar, great food. The, um, the manager of that bar went on to start his own chain of uh, bars and restaurants and uh, has been really successful. So he could cook. Uh, I don't like blue cheese. My boy put some blue cheese on the side of my wings. It's the best blue cheese I've ever had in my life. Um, Great food, really good beer selection. But here's the kicker. They they cater to an older audience. And they had slot machines in their bar. I mean that's like they had like the gaming machines in their bar. That's just how like 
these old guys would come in there, they'd order their same beers, they'd play their gaming machines, maybe like a karaoke night or something, that would be like a big deal. But for the most part, it was the same thing over and over and over again. And I gave them the same speech. Uh, I had to give it to them a little harsher. On premise, you got to be a little more direct. And I said, you've got a bunch of customers. We all got a ticket, right, on the top of our heads. But these folks are closer to their ticket than most. What are you going to do? How are you going to replace these customers? You have to start offering and providing things to draw in new customers to replace some of these people that are going to get too old to drive to your bar. Or, heaven forbid, they, they you know what I'm saying? They, they're in the upper room. And they listened to me. And we started putting new and improved things in their bar. We started offering new things. We put specials on craft and import beers to hopefully excite some new people. Because the key element is that with a limited amount of purchases of your new item, you're already expanding your box. So um, I really recommend going to read the full story because it goes into a little bit of my history into selling products like these. And it goes into more in depth about uh, expanding the box. It doesn't give you the, the answer to sell more beer, but it does give you a guideline. And again, you have to use your sales intuition. You have to look at an area and say, hey, how can I make the most out of this area? and change the thinking of this retailer so I can get more sales out of it. Another great example is um, I used to work for a brewery and we used to do these things called team sales. So a team sale, you gather a few different sales representatives and you pack them all on a plane and you send them to one part of the country that you're expanding or you're opening. So we opened a new market in Nebraska and we put together this team. We all went to uh, Omaha and Lincoln, and we sold beer like crazy. We had a blast doing it. Nebraska, amazingly enough, is a fun place to drink beer. Um, there's this place called Krug. If you ever go to Nebraska and Omaha, it's an awesome place to have a, a, a couple of good craft beers. They've got a great selection. I think that's what's called Krug. Um, but you know what scared me the most about that trip? What scared me was the success. We had such success. But what happens? Next year you got to compete against those same numbers. So what are you going to do different? What are you going to do to expand the box? We were new in Nebraska. So we have to compete against those numbers, those big numbers that we put up. So uh, read the article. I sincerely you know, implore you to read it in full context and use that mindset. So let me tell you how this worked. So, um, okay, let's talk about white flight. So in the hood, in most lower income neighborhoods, well, many lower income neighborhoods, you have this thing called white flight. So the area may have been a predominantly um, Caucasian um, area and these people have moved from that area into the suburbs and minorities have moved in so one particular area 
that is in Houston had that same dynamic. So you had, um, you know, thousands of white folks that lived in the area, went to school in the area, had the community, and then they started to move out of the area. They started to move further north. The African-American community from the south came up and took over part of that area. And the Hispanic Hispanic community moved from uh, south, but uh, they kind of like did like a circle, like they circled back around and they were coming from the north. This is a real place, right? And there's a strange phenomenon on this road in East Houston where it was like the Hispanic community came from up north while the African-American community came from the south. And they sandwiched this last bastion of uh, white folks on this one street. No lie. So I had this one street that um, for about maybe a mile and a half, two miles, it was all um, white people. But south of it was African-American, black people. North of it was Hispanic American, majority Mexican, some El Salvadorian people. So this was weird. It was a really weird little street because it was all of these demographics converging on one another. And um, on this one street in the middle of this neighborhood, you had like a country and western bar. You had uh, a feed store slash like general store that was run by a white guy. I've got a great story about him that I'll probably tell in another another podcast clip. And um, you had a convenience store um, that um, was owned by a Palestinian family. Very interesting as well. Um, one thing I will say, I think one of the funniest things ever is the fact that you will take someone, an immigrant, from a country that uh, um, have difficulty, maybe a war-torn country, or whatever the case may be. They will put a store in the middle of the wildest place, and life is just regular to them. I'm generalizing here, but life is just regular. So, side story. There was this guy who owned this store in the middle of East Houston. And I would pull up to this store and everything was going on out here. I'm talking about drugs. I'm talking about people just talking wild, reckless fights, all of that stuff. And this old Vietnamese guy ran this store. It was as if nothing was going on outside. I never could understand it. I mean, it wasn't like... You should be scared. It was more like you should be alert. And he wasn't even alert. I mean, it was folks outside cussing and carrying on, all kind of stuff. And I would walk through it. I mean, I never felt like my life was in danger, but I felt like I got my head on a swivel. My boy that ran the store, I mean, this dude was had to be in his 70s, if not 80s. His head was not on a swivel. He wasn't scared of anything. Like, nothing phased him. And finally, I asked his son... Yo, what's up with your dad? Like, these people be, you know, it, you could hear gunshots, nothing. He doesn't even flinch. 
he was a POW in the Vietnam War. He worked for the, uh, I don't give all his business, but he worked for the, I think the South Vietnamese Army was captured and like tortured and all kinds of stuff. So he was like, you know, what's a couple of, what's a couple of folks going to do to me out here? I don't care. He was a G, straight up OG. But anyways, back to my store um, in the middle of um, East Houston where um, these um, white American people happily live and shop. That was when my sales antennas went up because I had all of these... um, Goals that I had to make for craft beer and for import beer. And I felt like this is the place where I have to make it happen. And this is why diversity, there's strength in diversity when it comes to the beverage world. That's why I shout out my boys from Hop Topic for introducing diversity into the beverage world. Anything I put in this store would sell. And the conversation about expanding your box was with the Palestinian gentleman that owned the store. I said, hey, we're making you're making good money. You sell uh, Old English, you sell this, you sell Bush, you sell all these things. How are you going to make more money? So we started taking imports um, and capitalizing on the high margin that you can place on imports And then we started taking craft beer and capitalizing on that same margin that you can put on craft beer. And it did two things. The people that lived on that street that were predominantly white were excited because we were offering products that they knew about, but the access to was difficult because of the place that they lived and they never really got these products. Right, A lot of them love craft beer, but they don't see it where they live, so they go buy it elsewhere. Now we're putting it right in their street. And it sparked interest with other diverse groups. Because one thing about people, especially in the United States, is that when one group attaches itself to something and shows some loyalty to it, other groups inquire about it. Uh, I always say, you know, the United States is not a melting pot. It's more like gumbo. Um, All of these different ingredients don't melt together, but you put them together and it creates this great stew. And the other beautiful thing about gumbo is that my mom's gumbo is the best gumbo, but it has evolved over time. Why? Because she grew up on the Louisiana border she moved to New Orleans. She listened to this Creole lady that said, hey, you should do this. She listened to this Cajun guy that says, hey, you should do that. And she's just taking from everyone and putting it into one pot. And that's what was happening in the store. People are seeing the shelf and they're seeing Stella Artois. I'm using that as an example. And they're seeing that that space is empty on the shelf. And they're wondering who the hell is buying it? What is up with that product? We all know this. We all see this. I mean, if you buy candy, if you buy anything, you see it. You see something that's popping and you want to be a part of it. So 
this was super successful in this store. And I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that it will work in every single store. But that's where your sales antenna's got to go up. And you have to start thinking of ways to diversify your box. Diversifying your box may not be that you're trying to get more black people to buy your craft beer. It could be that you are trying to sell your craft beer in more C stores, more convenience stores. Um, there's only a few convenience stores that pop in my mind that have a great selection of craft beer. Maybe you have one in your area that doesn't. But if it did, you could capitalize off of it by being, you know, the first one to put your whole portfolio in the uh, in the store. Um, so, I mean, in conclusion, it's really about focusing on diversifying the way you sell products. Um focusing on growing and expanding your current box in multiple locations, um, diversifying the demographic that you're selling to. You know, if, you, if you're putting rap lyrics on your cans, but you don't have a strong presence amongst that demographic, I mean, is it really making sense? Or are you really just kind of like, cheaply you know benefiting off of culture so it's really just about diversifying the way you do business